All right, if you'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. So in view of this day being kind of a, a unique day where we'll go to the river and have a time of baptism and just eat and party all afternoon, uh, we're not going to jump back into the Gospel of Matthew. We'll do that next week, starting with the parables we find in Matthew 13. But we're going to take a passage that speaks about baptism and speaks about the glorious unity that we share together in Christ. Whether that's a unity we have sitting here together or a unity that is spread afar. And so we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. You can read in your Bible, your app, or up on the wall. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the victory that is ours in Jesus. We thank You that even as we sit in this kind of hot gym, we can resonate with our brothers and sisters in places in the world right now where air conditioning would be a dream, and yet they are rejoicing, and so may we rejoice with them. We thank you that we have everything we need in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Many of you may have heard of the myth of Sisyphus. Sisyphus was this guy who sought to defy the gods, and he was given a punishment, and his punishment was to push a boulder, a large stone, to the top of a hill to do all that work and all that effort only when it got to the top of the hill and he felt like, I finally made it. I finally completed it. I finally done enough to just have the ball roll back down the hill again. And his punishment is that's how he would have to endure eternity. Pushing this stone to the top of a hill only to watch it roll back down and do it all over again. It's pretty depressing. I think if we're honest, that's maybe how our lives feel sometimes. Just here I get up this morning, I'm going to push the boulder to the top of the hill, and it'll just roll back down again. And we can start to wonder, what's the point? Is this really all that my life is? I think if we're a little more honest even, maybe that's how we feel about the lives of discipleship that we live. Even our relationships with Jesus. 
it's this wrestling of when will it ever be enough? When will I ever be complete? When will I ever get to the top of the hill and actually be fulfilled? There's probably some of you here this morning who are tempted to maybe give up on Jesus because of that very experience. There's many of us in here who have been tempted, who are are tempted maybe not to give up on Jesus, but to kind of add stuff to Jesus. Spice it up a little bit. And there's some who are thinking about leaving Jesus. Because it just seems he's not enough. Well, you're not alone. It seems these Colossians were in a very simpler, situ- similar situation. They had heard the gospel. This church had been planted. These disciples were growing, but as they continued to grow, they lived in a, a culture, in a situation that offered them a lot of philosophical alternatives to the good life. And offered them a lot of opportunities to not just engage in that philosophical good life apart from Christ, but as what often happens in most of our cultures, and particularly maybe we say in this religious South, is you don't have to leave Jesus, you can add this to Jesus. The fancy $5 word for that is syncretism. A lot of times we hear that word talked about in foreign mission field contexts where you blend the, the former religions with the, the current religion that you want to bring, this following of Jesus. But it can happen in our lives. It can happen in our discipleship. It can happen in our church. We want, we want something deeper and so we're led astray by believing that Jesus is not enough. If we know the story of God, this is not anything new. It's really how everything got started on a wrong foot. When our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, already had everything that they needed, but the enemy came and said, you can have more. That first deceptive philosophy of we can both be the image of God and be God led them down the path not of fulfillment but of emptiness. And that same temptation is ours today. So the, God, the Word of God this morning calls us to realize that our emptiness can only be filled by Jesus' enoughness to make up a word. Our emptiness can only be filled by Jesus' enoughness. Now, how do, we see, how do we see this in the text? Verse 8, look at it again with me. we got to find that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. So we're going to have some weird math stuff this morning. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Paul warns them. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He's calling them to resist these futile philosophies that want to lead them down this path of false fulfillment. Paul is not talking about philosophy in general. Philosophy in general is just thinking deeply about the frameworks of how you live life. 
What he is talking about here, and the way this language is used, is a philosophy, an empty deceit. You could even translate that a philosophy that is an empty deceit. And it's an empty deceit that is enslaving. Notice that word in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. It's a trick. It's a trap. And like all tricks and traps that have any appeal, they're plausible. They're pretty. On the surface, they make you think, oh wow, light bulb. Aha moment. Notice here these empty philosophies that Paul calls them to resist, to, 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 to put effort into not being taken captive by are according to human tradition. That is, these things are, are rooted oftentimes in an appeal to the past, to ancient things that bring with them this sense of dignity, this sense of authority, this sense of mystery, but also the elemental spirits, the elemental spirits of the world. That is, this appeal to the spiritual world. The demonic realm is not mentioned here because it likely would not have been mentioned by these who were calling them to be taken captive by these evil spirits. But it's, but it's this temptation to like, go, let's, go, let's go deeper. You know, there's these, these ancient philosophies and, and there's this, this depth of mystery that notice Paul says, but is not according to Christ. Now most commentators believe, and there's no little debate around this, that, that this was not merely some Greek or pagan type of philosophy or issues that they were dealing with, but that it was a form of that syncretism of blending elements of Judaism, the ancient faith of Israel, and the, the pagan philosophical thoughts of the day that became this option to, to, to have this way where you follow Jesus, but it was steeped in this Jewish legalism and mysticism. Now, to kind of back that up, I want you to look down, and we don't have this on the screen, so you may have to trust me if you don't have your, your Bible or an app, to verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Or with a regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. That is like these extreme practices where you set yourself apart from the world. And worship of angels. Or going on and on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations like, don't handle this, don't taste that, don't touch this, referring to things that perish as they are used according to what? Human traditions, human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom 
in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence to the flesh. This is what they were up against. They're following Jesus, and they're being told, that's cool, but if you really want to get into the secret of the universe, if you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to be whole, then you need these laws and you need this mystical life. Legalism, ritualism, asceticism, mysticism, spiritism. So verse 23 tells us these things are pretty, but at the end of the day they're actually powerless. And they take you captive from the fullness of Christ. This Valentine's Day, I messed up, as I have many times at our anniversaries. And this is a new one, though. So I taught myself, maybe. Tasha and others, probably, had this awesome Valentine's banquet for our church. And it was really cool. There's great food, lighting, music. And it's like, just, here's the softball, Rusty. Right? For a nice date with your wife. And uh, and we got dressed up, as dressed up as I can get. My special occasion shirt. Uh, but there, there was something a little off, and I'm like, this is, this is okay. Uh, we went together, and he thought, oh, that sounds good. Doesn't sound like you messed anything up. Minor detail, I brought Frank and Daniel with me. I love these guys. They know it. <laughs> I actually got a picture with Frank and Daniel that night. I did not get a picture with my wife. Now that, that could sound noble, right? Very kind. Considerate. Uh, what does Paul say here? has an appearance of wisdom. <laughs> Nothing wrong with my brothers whom I love in the right time, in the right place, the right perspective. But probably not added to a date with my wife. Some relationships are compromised when you add to them. When we add anything to the fullness of Christ, it takes away everything that the fullness of Christ brings to us. Philosophies, spiritual viewpoints, practices that may not be bad even at times in and of themselves, but when those things get baked into the cake of what it means for us to have a full, fulfilled, complete life, what we do is we actually suck out all of the power of that relationship that we have with Jesus. And this happens all the time. You throw legalism onto Jesus. You throw mysticism onto Jesus. You throw asceticism onto Jesus. All these, these isms. Whatever your ism is, if that ism becomes the point and compromises the relationship that Jesus comes to bring, 
then you will rob yourself from the very fullness Jesus wants to give you. And what is so wrong and so sad is then people will blame Jesus for that. It was if me, if me, it was a little, 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 it would be as if I would say to Cassie, you're the reason that was not a good date. <laughs> I'd probably do something dumb like that. The world, our neighbors, our neighborhoods, our social media feeds are full of people who have experienced a Jesus plus relationship and have been taken captive, and we are not immune to that ourselves. There's nothing wrong with obedience, there's nothing wrong with sacrifice, there's nothing wrong with separation. I could talk to you later if you want to about a healthy vision of obeying God's law faithfully, about a healthy mysticism that is not about getting to a new plane, but is just about actually experiencing Jesus for who He is, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. I could talk to you about healthy, maybe ascetic practices where you get away at certain times for silence and solitude. All of the above. But when those things... Those human traditions become what we do to make us look right, feel right, or more, be more deeply connected to Jesus. It's a recipe for disaster. Some of you, it's legalism you're tempted to add on. Oh man, it makes you... you you just want people to tell you what to do and you want to do the right thing and you want to get other people to do the right thing and you're living with this anxious guilt. Is it, am I doing it right? Is everybody doing it right? You're being taken captive. Others of you, it is that mysticism. You want, you want an experience with Jesus that will finally make you feel special. You want to be as close to God as as those people who talk about how close they are to God. You don't want to be less spiritual or look less spiritual. And there's some, there are asceticisms. Another way we could just say this to maybe apply if it's not pushing it is, is this gets into our missional identity. You want to give up stuff, right? Like vows of poverty and doing the harder things than other people. Because you want to show that you care more. You're more committed. You're more sacrificial. And somewhere in the middle of all that, Jesus gets lost. And we end up just as restless as the world. These isms make us come to us to make us feel safe, but we end up being more enslaved. We set up church cultures that actually hurt people because most people who check out on Jesus in the church, if you really listen to them, it has little to do with actually Jesus. It has to do with they were in, in some type of legalism or some type of culture that said Jesus is not enough. Some of you today maybe are full of bitterness at some place in your heart because you've been taken captive by the fact that you don't have enough like other people do. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the experience. 
And there's nobody more miserable in this world than Christians whose lives are full of Jesus add-ons. Because Jesus plus anything equals nothing. The next thing Paul talks about here is not just us seeing that Jesus plus anything equals nothing, but our second little math thing is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This is, this is the big call to faith in this text. To believe, to realize, to accept. Not just in your head, because if you get this, this ain't easy, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Paul clarifies for them in verses 9 and 10 why Jesus actually is enough. Notice verse 9. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Next time somebody tells you, oh, they didn't believe all that stuff about Jesus being God until they had all them councils, just say, "Eh." not only could I take you to the Gospels about how Jesus talks about himself, if you just want to go there, how about Colossians 2.9? The whole fullness of deity, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. Jesus, the Son of God, is God. Talk about mysteries. The Trinity is maybe a mystery. But if we're to believe anything, the Bible says it is a reality. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, is in no way less than the Father. I don't like using these long words, but some of you try it. Ontologically, in his being, the fullness of God is. Because it's there bodily. He is fully God. He is fully man. Fully human. When God the Son became human, he did not empty himself he took on flesh one commentator says it this way what he means simply is that Jesus was and is not simply a fully human being though he is not simply a man remarkably full of God though he's that as well he was and is the bodily form taken by God himself God in all his fullness he isn't a demigod half divine and half human He doesn't have a human body and a divine spirit or mind. He can only properly be understood as the human being who embodies or incarnates the fullness of divinity. This is important for this context in Colossae and it's important for us today. This meant, of course, that all the pagan deities and divinities were at once completely upstaged. The pagan world sometimes spoke of demigods or heroes who became divine around the time of their death. Jesus wasn't like that. He was the real thing. But it also meant that Paul was cutting the ground away from any potential attack from the Jewish side. Jews, including Paul himself, believed that God was one. Many, perhaps Paul in his pre-Christian days, would have said that therefore Jesus could not be divine. That the best could be said of his fathers, particularly the ex-pagan ones, but that they should now go on to discover the true God, the creator, the sovereign Lord of all. Not so, says Paul, 
If you want to find the true God, you need look no further than Jesus Himself. Verse 9 is perhaps the sharpest and clearest statement in all of His writings of His belief that Jesus quite literally embodies the one true God, God in all His fullness. Why is this important? Lots of reasons. It's important just in and of itself. This last line leads us to verse 10. If you possess Jesus, therefore, you are already fulfilled in Him. And no rule or authority can go, as it were, over His head and impose itself on you. He's the head of them all. The church in our own day still needs to recapture that vision of the supremacy of King Jesus over all authority. Because Jesus is the fullness of God who has come and became the fullness of man. Verse 10, notice he says, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. If you are in Christ this morning, you are filled with the fullness of God. What do we do with that? I don't even really know what to say. We just all like get out of our seats and fall on our faces and worship and awe right now. Look at that knucklehead sitting beside you in Jesus. The fullness of God fills you. Is that how you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning? Is that how you look at your friends, your family who are followers of Jesus? And the one who fills you is over all authority, all spiritual forces. Like, what else do you need? This is who you are because of who he is. But also because of what he's done. Notice verse 11. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Paul is saying here, a part of these traditions, as we see, that were brought in, in all this syncretistic form from these pagan philosophies, this, this, this Judaistic way of thinking, as if Jesus did not fulfill the law, one of the things was, is, hey, if you're really going to be spiritual, you've got to get circumcised. You know, so, sorry, adult male Gentiles, get ready to bite the bullet, it's about to hurt. Uh... And hey, what better way to show how serious you are? And Paul is just saying here, okay, you want to hear something better? You've already been set apart for Christ, not on the skin, but in the soul. Male and female, every person who's been united with Christ by faith 
has been changed to the depths of who they are. Not in some religious sign that was appropriate within a particular season of redemptive history that said this person is a part of the people of God and this person has been marked to point towards the fact that one day a seed, a son, is going to be born. But that seed has come in Christ. Those things were the pointers, but He is the point. And now through faith in Him, you've been changed at the level of your heart. And Paul says, that's what your baptism told you. Verse 12, having been buried with him with baptism, you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working with God who raised him from the dead. Baptism is to be the sign of that deep change. Baptism is a, a picture of what Jesus has done in us to the depths of who we are. That old us, with all that old need, has been buried. That's why we go under the water. That means dead. That body of flesh, that, that old self, has been crucified with Christ. That wasn't the end of the story. It's been raised. When we baptize today, that'll be the picture. It's wild if you think about it. We're going to enact someone's death and resurrection in union with Christ that proclaims to the world that they have been touched by the power of the one who the fullness of deity dwells to the fullness of who they are. It'll be a beautiful symbol, but it's more than a symbol even. It's a sign. It's a covenant sign of a picture that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves in the depths of who we are. And there's nothing we need to add to that. You notice in this text how this happens in verse 12. It is through faith. Through faith. Faith alone in Christ alone. I remember one time watching this kid. It may have been in a family meal. I can't remember the time, but I, it just came to my mind as I was reading this. This kid who was playing with this plastic dinosaur. He was in the middle of all these other kids who had all these other toys and all these other devices and there was a, something on TV for kids and that little guy was just sitting there with his little probably dollar store dinosaur. Just as content as could be. And I'm probably weird, but I remember thinking, I wish I was like that kid. In a world where there's so many more things to do, more things to get, more things to accomplish. And probably in that space I was thinking, I, need, I should be doing this. I should do this. This person should be doing that. Blah, 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 blah. Crazy, anxious, legalism. God, where are you? I don't feel you right now. What are you doing? There ain't no lost people here. Why does it matter? Blah, 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 all this stuff. And 
and here's little kid over here with his dinosaur. Was like, he's just so free. Just free to be present. He had enough. The dinosaur was enough. Now you're like, well, he'll grow out of that. And he will. Probably didn't last. For all I know, he kicked and screamed the whole way home. But what if we had something that was? What if we had something? What if we had someone who actually was enough? Finally, who could fill us, fulfill us, complete us. The gospel says we do. The gospel says we don't have to strive anymore. The gospel says we don't have to keep trying. The gospel says we don't have to to keep adding on. The gospel says that the God-man, Jesus Christ, has come for us. He is in us. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because He is God, do you realize you really are fully known? Nobody else might understand you. Nobody else might know you. You might, you, my goodness, we don't even know ourselves. We really don't. You think you have all this awareness, and we need to grow in it. But just give it ten years, and you're going to say, Oh, oh. Why does that just not freak us all out? Well, it might. But not if we know Jesus really is fully God and He is really in us. He knows you. He understands you. And and He's not leaving you. Because we have this spiritual circumcision of the heart, guess what that really means? You really belong. Now, weird churches and Christians and probably all of us at times will make each other not feel like we really belong unless we're jumping through the hoops, right? But that ain't Jesus. Like, you belong. He's not asking for a pound of flesh from you so that you're on the inside. Jesus demolishes all this inner circle specialness. If you are in Christ, you're in with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it don't get no better than that. You you might get invited to some meeting of leaders or blah, 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 blah. And that's all well and good, but you're only going downhill at that point from where you're at right now. You might get into a school. You might get a job. You might do a great accomplishment. Go for it. That's great. But you already are with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no in crowd you need. And because you're filled in Him already, guess what? This is hard to accept. There's not ever really going to be a better you. 
Now, should we still have ambitions? Yes. Should we still want to be a part of other groups and leadership and success? Yes. Should we want to grow as Christians and mature? Obviously. But you don't got to top anything anymore. God doesn't love some better version of you. He loves you. God is not waiting for you to be some better version of yourself. Jesus fills you. Madonna, if anybody still remembers her, said this, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. That's what you call a slave. Nothing and nobody can ever complete you but Jesus. Sometimes we are so discontent. I don't know who said this. I've heard it many places because until Jesus is enough... Nothing else will be. Until Jesus is enough, nobody else will will be. If you have this you complete me view of relationships, get ready for the great disappointment of your life. If you have this you complete me view of some job, some vocation, some season of life, get ready to be disappointed. Just as Jesus' godness, his deity, upstaged all the gods and religions of Colossae, so in our day, he upstages all the gods and idols of our hearts because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So, how, how do we live into that? One way we do that is we need to go back to those first days of being followers of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was enough? Even if you couldn't win that doctrinal debate. Remember when Jesus was enough? Before you even heard about the spiritual practices of the contemplative Christians. Remember when Jesus was enough? Before you knew a word like, or phrase like missional community. Maybe, maybe you need to take some time to go back there. It's not a call to immaturity. 
It's a call just to remember what it was like when I was just dependent on him and he was enough. And it'll make all those other things better. Well, if you're thinking, well, I just feel pretty miserable right now about my idolatrous, syncretistic, Gnostic paganism. In the name of following Jesus, we're about to, we're about to raise the cup, aren't we, guys? Because the good news is, Jesus is enough because it's finished. This is really good news. So verses 13 and 14, real quick here. 13, 14, 15. Paul declares that their fullness rests on God's power, not their own. So I'm not going to read these verses. These are awesome verses. We'll tackle them individually at another time. But verse 13, what is Jesus saying, God saying here through the Spirit? It's God through Jesus who raised them from the dead. So guess how much they contributed to their being disciples? Zilch. It wasn't a cooperative effort. No, verse 13 says, God made them alive from their death. If they started with nothing, why, why are they trying to add on to it now? Paul will say in, in Galatians, if, the, if by the Spirit you begin this journey, why are you now trying to finish it with your works? So not only did God raise them from the dead plus nothing, verse 13, 14 says he canceled the record of debt that stood against them with its legal demands. And how did he do it? By nailing it to the cross. How were all their sins paid for? Why should they not hear these teachers saying, if you don't obey this law, you're not really right with God. If you don't obey this law, you can't really belong. How can they trust that? Because of the cross. Jesus, we sang it already. Jesus paid it all. We're forgiven and have no debt to pay to the law because of Jesus plus what? Plus nothing. Verse 15, not only did he raise them from the dead through his power plus nothing, not only did he cancel their debt through the cross plus nothing, but he triumphed over all the enemies, all the spiritual forces. Plus, through his resurrection, through his death and resurrection, plus nothing. What does this say? You're already as free as you're going to get. You're not only as filled as you're going to get, you're as free as you're going to get. Then why do we live so enslaved when we let ourselves be taken captive by philosophies that are empty to see? Baby elephants were traditionally trained by tying one of their front legs to a stake in the ground. Side note, this sounds horrible and cruel to do this to elephants, so no endorsement of that. All right. I don't know if people still do this. So because the elephants are small at that stage, they only a very thin rope is required. Little baby elephant, little Dumbo, tied up to a stake with this little thin rope. And they struggle and pull at that rope at first, 
but eventually they realize they can't break the rope and so they give up right i pulled on this thing long enough i can't break it so i just stop well they grow fast of course and so before long that baby elephant that little thin rope holding it gets really big but here's the thing guess what the trainers don't change the rope that same little thin rope is all that is needed to keep that big ginormous elephant under control because they think they've been trained to believe that that rope can still hold them And that's us sometimes. I got, I got to do this. If, if I'm going to be complete, I got to be able to pull this off. I got to pay my debt. I got to be strong versus those enemies. But, I, but what's the reality? We just, just can't do it. I can't ever do enough. Can't ever do enough. So I just keep trying and that legalism that that performanceism it's just it's just walking us around but the good news of the kingdom through the spirit is here to tell us that rope can't hold us anymore we don't have to live like that anymore because the fullness of God dwells in Him bodily and He is in us. He has triumphed over death. He has triumphed over sin. He has triumphed over Satan. We are free. And our whole life now is going to be a fight to not fall into that false philosophy that tells us we have to live according to the world and not according to Christ. We're going to have to rehearse this every day. Our experience and our past will tell us it's too good to be true. Our guilt, our fear, and our shame will tell us we're, we're tricking ourselves. But the lie is to believe that we are not the fulfilled and free children of God. The lie is to forget our baptism. The lie is to forget that we've already been crucified with Christ and risen to walk in the newness of life. The reality is, is we can stop pushing that boulder up the hill and watch it fall just to do it again because Jesus has climbed the hill for us and said, it is finished. And I am enough. Because Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We realize that our emptiness can only be filled by His enoughness. Let's pray.